Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson. And today I'm joined by Dr. Felice Gersh, double board certified in OBGYN and integrative medicine, best-selling author and women's health expert. And we're talking about the hormone immune connection. If you've ever wondered why autoimmunity affects so many more women than men, then this episode is for you. Join us as we discuss the synchronicity that is our hormone system, and in particular, our sex hormones, or as Dr. Gersh calls them, our life hormones. Dr. Gersh, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to join you here. This is such an important conversation, and I'm excited to share with listeners to bring your expertise to them today. So I'm I'm really excited to dig into this important conversation. And that is for sure. It is so important. And I'm so happy that you're emphasizing it today. Well, I always start with story. I'm always so curious about, you know, how did you get to be doing what you did? And and I think that that's a great way for listeners to get to know you a little bit. So, so how did you sure. become this amazing expert? Well, I... Always, I I think it was sort of intuitive. I always knew that there was more to helping women to optimize their health than than what could be offered through pharmaceuticals and surgeries. And so very early on, I started my own practice. I was one of those female entrepreneurs, and mainly that was sort of almost by accident. I kept trying to find someone to join me in private practice back in the day when I went into practice. And when I came out of residency, private practice was the thing. That's really what people did. Now, of course, most doctors are employed by big entities, but that was not the case back then. And so I tried to join other practices, but they were predominantly or completely male. They were sort of had a different kind of a focus. And I really wanted to be sort of be able to be flexible with my schedule, to have a family, to kind of create my own dynamic of how I would work. I couldn't do that, I discovered when I was looking at other practices. So I actually said, you know, I I think if they could do it, I could do it. I'm going to start my own practice. So I took a two-day course sponsored by the California Medical Association called Establishing a Medical Practice. That was my MBA. It's a two-day course. And I actually started my own practice from scratch and I, I knew very early on that I needed to add more services. I call them my ancillaries. So very quickly in my practice, I added a Chinese medicine practitioner, a nutritionist, a psychologist, a massage therapist. So I, I, but I personally never had additional training in anything beyond conventional medicine. But then after 25 years of delivering thousands of babies, doing a lot of high risk obstetrics, it was just my time to give it up and actually get some sleep. My circadian rhythm was so messed up from all those night phone calls and deliveries and such. And maybe because I had more time, more rest, I actually started demanding that all the pharmaceutical reps that came parading through my office regularly to actually show me the studies that they were involved with, you know, their companies, their their drugs that got them FDA approved. And I was shocked when I actually looked at the original studies, how little they differed from placebo and, and the array of side effects that came out that became apparent during the original studies. And it's like, wait a minute, I remember one drug that I looked at for treatment of overactive bladder. That was, you know, a big thing for women, overactive bladder. And the drug had such a wide array of side effects, you know, constipation and cognitive effects that are negative. And all of this for one less trip to the bathroom in 24 hours. It's like, 
all of that for that benefit. And then it's like, wait a minute, I'm not doing obstetrics. What am I accomplishing? You know, like, if, is my goal in life, I could do tons of surgeries. I was very good. I taught surgery at USC School of Medicine for many years. And but I said, I don't want to do end stage disease all the time. I don't want to just do surgery. It's important. And I didn't want to give it up. But I didn't want that to be basically all I did. So I gave it a lot of thought and I went on my own personal journey and I ended up taking all kinds of courses. I kept, you know, searching for ways to expand what I call my, my therapeutic toolbox. Hang on one second. I have to plug in my computer. <laughs> Sorry. This, I know you can edit it. I didn't realize that I hadn't done it. Now I'm good. Good juice. Okay. okay. So after taking many courses, traveling around the country, I ended up in Portland. I was in a course with a bunch of naturopaths and there was one other MD there who was actually giving a lecture. And I went up to her during a break and I said, Dr. Lodog, you and I are the only MDs in this room. I feel so lost. I'm really trying to expand how I can help my patients. And I'm just sort of randomly taking different courses. She said, you know, after having talked to you, I know you're qualified. Why don't you apply? to the Fellowship in Integrative Medicine at the University of Arizona School of Medicine, where I am like the director. And so I went home that Sunday night after the course, I filled out the application and two weeks later I was in Tucson. <laughs> and I did the two-year fellowship in integrative medicine. I became one of the first board certified OBGYNs in integrative medicine, along with my board certification in OBGYN. And I never looked back. And that was over a decade ago that I finished that fellowship. And it's just been onward and upward and learning and teaching. I'd always been involved in teaching. And now I continue that journey in terms of giving lectures across the world that got a little interrupted by COVID. I ended up doing everything virtually, but sure. it's through the magic of the computer. I was able to communicate with people everywhere. And it's been amazing. The benefits that you can help create for women patients by expanding into natural medicine, holistic and lifestyle, the all the lifestyle medicine tools to really expand well beyond pharmaceuticals and surgery to help every woman. And I and along the journey, I really learned and did a deep dive into the hormones of the ovary. And I know we're going to talk about that because that became sort of one of the foundational things that I teach is what do the ovaries do in terms of these hormones? What are their functions in the body? And what happens when this universal, inevitable, unavoidable process that every woman faces called menopause? What happens when women go through that? And also what happens in younger years, during the reproductive years, when things get messed up? Because we know infertility is skyrocketing, menstrual problems of every kind, whether it's cramps, irregular cycles, heavy bleeding, the development of you know, endometriosis, uterine fibroids, PMS, all of these, what you might call totally unique to women's health problems. They are so neglected. Everything that's uniquely female is sadly very overlooked. It wasn't until 2015, that's not that, that's not exactly ancient history, that the FDA required that women at least be included in studies. So, <laughs> you know, so it's so it's one of my missions is to teach and learn about these unique issues that face just women that are so life-changing when things are not working properly. And so that's been my journey. And I'm just on it and never going to look back except to learn from the past because I'm just really forward focused. So amazing and incredible. And I would say you may not have had the board certification, but you started, like, as you had said, you pretty much started integrative. It just wasn't all you but you right. knew enough to realize that we are whole humans. So many amazing things. I also want to just you know, tip my hat to you as far as being an early entrepreneur, you know, just because you didn't <laughs> yeah. find 
the scenario you were looking for. So you created it. And that right. is entrepreneurship. That's what it's all about. So what a huge, huge need you're you're filling. I was complaining as it's such a passion point of mine as a woman <laughs> and a mother of a young lady. And we'll get into why I work with mostly women, not all women, but mostly women. The, what you just said about, you know, us having these unique issues, unique to women. It, I know at least for me, and I see it even with younger, younger ladies these days, you know, we norm, we tend to normalize and that's because we were told for years, well, yeah, you're a, oh, you have cramps, you know, well, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're a woman. It's okay. You have irregular periods. You have, you know, X, Y, Z, fill it in. And it's the same with menopause, you know, people think, oh, menopause is terrible. It doesn't need to be terrible. It's not supposed to be terrible. And and so I love bringing attention to all of the things. If we had five hours, I, <laughs> I have this big list of questions I could ask you. But we are here today to kind of tie, you know, hormones and autoimmunity. And I just kind of tipped a little bit with the, you know, why... Mm-hmm. Why do so many more women than men get diagnosed with autoimmunity? One would imagine it has to be related at least in part to hormones. So let's talk about hormone health and immune health. Oh, it is so intricately related. And it's there's something that everyone needs to acknowledge. Whether or not they want to have children or not, we need to acknowledge that the female body evolved for optimal reproductive success. I mean, because nature's prime directive is to create new life. It's just what it is. So to create new life, you need as a female to have quite a different immune system than a male. And so women are very different in the way their immune systems work. It's a necessity in order to have survival and fertility that's successful. So if we go back to the very beginning of life, you know, when you're an embryo, you're just conceived as a female, you have two X chromosomes. Now a male has an X and that little Y, but it's very cute, but a little Y. (laughs) Now it turns out that the vast array of genes that control immune function are almost exclusively on the X chromosome. Now, We have two. Now, theoretically, one of those X chromosomes becomes deactivated in every cell. So you end up with just one that's functioning, but that's not actually quite what happens in reality. Well, it turns out that for several weeks during the embryological stage of life, when you're just, you know, developing two X chromosomes, both of them stay functional for several weeks. And what they're doing is they're programming gene function that create what we call epigenetic expression, how the genes actually express themselves. So they're actually programmed during these embryological first weeks and having two X chromosomes with all of those active genes involving immune function help to program the immune system of females to be more robust, like more like proactive, more vigorous. Then one of the X chromosomes does get turned off in every cell, but not completely. About 15% of the genes on the so-called deactivated X chromosome actually stay active. Isn't that amazing? And And almost all of those still active genes are involved in immune function. Now, It turns out that that's not all that makes women different from men with their immune function. Of course, so are the hormones quite different. Estrogen has receptors on every immune cell of the body. So if we look at the immune system as sort of like an overview, there's like the what we call the innate immune system. That's the part of the immune system that activates when there's a pathogen, like a bacteria, a virus, a a parasite or fungus trying to take hold in your body. And the innate immune system has what I call the first line of attack. So you have these cells that are programmed just to go after whatever, 
I mean, they have receptors that pick up all the different kinds of pathogens, like the mast cells, like the, they line all the interfaces between the outside world and your inner body so that it acts as like the sentry guards to check over and take care of things. And when something gets in, it's like they become activated. They bind with their little things called toll-like receptors to the pathogen, and then they explode. They call it like degranulation. They like explode and release inflammatory products, signaling agents to bring in the troops, and they create this inflammatory response, which is life-saving. They also are activated in response to damaged tissue, like injured tissue, so that you can repair, get rid of the old damaged tissue, and then create repair. So you gobble up like pathogens, you gobble up old dead cells, damaged cells, and this is all part of the innate immune system. Every one of those cells, mast cells, neutrophils, macrophages, monocytes, they all have receptors for estrogen. So it, estrogen is an immune modulator. It regulates the immune system from top to bottom. So it's on all of the immune cells. So that's the innate immune cells. And then the adaptive immune cells are the cells, the type of lymphocytes called B lymphocytes that make antibodies. Now, those also have estrogen receptors on them and different types. There's the alpha receptors are predominant on the innate immune cells and the beta receptors on the other types of immune cells that make antibodies, the B lymphocytes. So everything is modulated in this sort of interaction to enable success for reproduction. Now, what is that? What is that talking about? Well, it turns out that when you're pregnant, you make a special type of estrogen called estriol, which binds predominantly to the beta receptor that's on the, the cells of the immune system that make antibodies. And it turns out when you have high levels of activation of the beta receptor, it downregulates the alpha receptor. So those innate immune cells, like the attack cells of the body, are actually quieted down so that they become actually less effective so that you don't do what? You don't attack and kill your fetus. So the immune system is totally modulated during the menstrual cycle. There's changes with the hormone changes and levels. And progesterone also has a big role, which I'll explain. And so what is all so critical is that you don't kill the sperm. You don't kill the fetus by your immune system thinking it's a foreign invader. This is totally unique to females. Males don't have to do this. So it's just an amazing type of a situation. That's why many women who have autoimmune diseases, yes. like multiple sclerosis, actually go into like a remission during pregnancy because the attack part of the immune system that makes these things called inflammatory cytokines like tumor necrosis factor alpha, the interferons, the interleukins that are actually pro-inflammatory are all down-regulated during pregnancy. So it's like what you might call an immune modulator, like the pharmaceuticals that are given mm -hmm. that down-regulate the innate immune cells production of these cytokines, these that create the inflammatory response. So that's why they give warnings on those kinds of drugs like Humira and Remicade, like be aware that if you get an infection, you could die, you know, it doesn't. So that's why women who are pregnant, if they get an infection, like they get chickenpox, they get the flu, they get COVID, they are more apt to have a more serious outcome because there it's a compromise. Everything in the body is a compromise. So the body downregulates its immune response, which would be also against pathogens, but also it downregulates it so it doesn't kill the fetus. Now, it's really important when women aren't pregnant that they survive like pandemics, epidemics, because they have to be able to nurse their babies and raise these children to sexual maturity so that they can do it all over again and reproduce. So when women aren't pregnant, their immune systems are more, I mentioned, robust. They have, women have, because of their programming right in embryonic stages, they have more white blood cells. They have more cells that make antibodies. They have more immune cells 
So they are more likely to have a more robust inflammatory response. Now, when you get an infection, that's what saves you. That's why you want a very initial robust inflammatory response to attack and wipe out that pathogen and also to deal with trauma. So that like, for example, women who are premenopausal, if they have traumatic brain injuries, they do much better than postmenopausal women and they do better than men. Women survive the pandemics better. Women die less from HIV they die less, they can please, they, they do can die from anything, but they sure. have a better survival rate from on the flu because the estrogen and progesterone is also very anti-inflammatory because you don't want an inflammatory response when you're pregnant. So progesterone is anti-inflammatory, but an estradiol, the estrogen made by the ovaries, that's very important because remember I said estriol during pregnancy has a different binding capacity than estradiol. So that's why we don't want to give estriol when you're not pregnant, you know, because that's not what the body is like interested in. Okay. That's not natural. So, but estradiol is an immune modulator. By that, I mean, you can say regulator. It's part of initiating the inflammatory response when it's appropriate, like to trauma, damaged tissue, and infectious agents trying to get into your body. So it initiates that initial really powerful immune response to wipe out that infection, to help with injuries and so on. And then when it's appropriate at the right time, it downregulates the immune system to promote anti-inflammation and resolution of inflammation and the healing process. And in fact, back in the 1990s, before that idiotic, sorry, it is idiotic, (laughs) women's health initiative, the women's from 20 years ago came out, there were so many studies. I researched this on PubMed, my favorite site. Uh, Okay, so I researched, and back in the 1990s, there was so much research going on looking at putting topical estradiol on the skin. And what they found was concerning wrinkles, within two weeks, they could see reduction of wrinkles because it improves everything about the skin, the ceramides, the the hyaluronic acid, the collagen production, everything. It changes the the microbiome of the skin, everything, the sebum types and the fatty acids coming out. And it also was found to be very amazing for healing wounds because at part of the inflammation response is the resolution, which involves healing. That's part of platelets. You know, platelets cause blood clotting, which is part of the pro-inflammatory response. And then it actually helps with growth factors, which is part of the healing part of the in, uh, inflammatory response. And all of that is under the auspices, the umbrella of estradiol. So estrogen is amazing. Now, what happens is many women have all kinds of problems going on with their circadian rhythm and their nutrient status. I do lectures on issues involving micronutrients. If you have even one deficiency, it has ramifications throughout every cell in the body because these micronutrients are essential for running the coenzymes, the cofactors, the nuclear, like DNA, RNA stabilization. I mean, so many different things. So, so many people have nutritional deficiencies and all of these things impact so many different issues. And when you have, and it can lead to dysfunction of the ovaries and then the ovaries don't produce hormones and the proper sequence and so on. And that has further downstream ramifications. So you get this horrible cycle of gut dysfunction, brain dysfunction, circadian rhythm, hormonal imbalances. And that's where it's complex. People want a simple solution. There is no simple solution. And the solution is not to cover it up. Like I call it smoke and mirrors by giving birth control pills to the young reproductive women, because the menstrual cycle is a vital sign of female health. A vital sign is like, what's your temperature? What's your pulse? What's your blood pressure? Right? So if your menstrual cycle is messed up, guess what, ladies, you're messed up. And the solution isn't to just cover it up. It's to fix it. And you'll never fix it if you just put people on birth control pills. And that's the go to now. 
I mean, it's just so sad because these women often have nutrient deficiencies because of diet. They often have just, you know, circadian rhythm problems, dysbiotic gut microbiomes, like they have, you know, they have wrong microbes in their gut. They have what we call impaired gut barrier or leaky gut. I mean, there's so many different manifestations and that leads to problems with the brain, the gut and the brain, they communicate and, yes. oh my goodness, there's, it gets complex, but the solution isn't to, like, if you have mold in your wall, the solution right. isn't to put on pretty wallpaper, right. that isn't going to fix the problem. And then in menopause, the reality is that you don't have hormones that are coming out of your ovary. That's going to have ramifications everywhere. Because remember, every system in the body has estrogen receptors. I mentioned the immune cells have estrogen receptors. They also have progesterone receptors. So too, every system, the cardiovascular system, you know, the heart, the blood vessels, the musculoskeletal system, the ligaments, the tendons, the bones, the neurological system, the enteric, the gut nervous system, the brain, the central nervous system. If you look at the skin, I already mentioned like the skin. Yeah. Oh, you, you name it. Every That's... organ, right? You can go like every organ, the, you know, the GI tract, every yes. part of the GI tract, they all have hormone receptors. So it's one body and it works in synchrony, in a beautiful synchrony yes. to support reproductive success and survival so that you can have multiple episodes of reproduction and create multiple babies and then be alive so that you can raise them. So it's all about survival so that you can raise the kids, survival and health so that you can have the kids. And then all of that kind of comes to an end of sorts when you hit menopause. So nature doesn't make us die when we hit menopause. By the way, most organisms, most creatures on planet Earth die when reproduction ends. Right. Only a few animal types, we're one of them, actually has life after reproduction ends. But it's kind of like a fend for yourself situation here. <laughs> and so we need to actually access every therapeutic tool in the yes. book to have healthy longevity. But if we understand that these hormones estrogen in the form of estradiol and progesterone and testosterone, which doesn't drop at menopause. It's really, it's not related to menopause. The skill set of the ovary to make testosterone is unrelated to the skill set to make estrogen, estradiol and progesterone, because you need to have a supply of eggs to make estrogen and progesterone. You don't need that to make testosterone. So it's separate. It's, it's a very vital hormone, it's yes. much smaller in women in terms of production amount, but it's and still often overlooked. Totally women. overlooked, totally yeah. overlooked. Yeah. And I do talks about, you know, testosterone, everything matters, but you can put it in a hierarchy, you know. So sure. I put, you know, estradiol at the top, but all these other matter. I mean, you know, thyroid, I mean, that's a big deal, of course, you know, yes, but yes. and actually they all interact. So, like, for example, when you have high levels of estradiol, it actually upregulates the progesterone receptors so that progesterone right. works better. When you have high levels of progesterone, it actually downregulates the receptors for estradiol. When you have high levels of estradiol, it upregulates the receptors for thyroid hormone. So it works better. Testosterone. So it works better. And it's also that women have a good sex drive, <laughs> by the way, that the, you so have will like, keep reproducing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's why all women after menopause have symptoms that fit with low thyroid, even though you measure their thyroid hormone, it may be normal in the reference range and it looks fine. Right. And the doctor says, you don't have thyroid problems. You probably need Prozac. That's <sighs> not it. They Because yeah. without adequate estrogen, estradiol, the thyroid receptors are not going to work well. It's like if you have a baby and you want to feed your baby mashed peas. So you buy all this mashed peas or you make it yourself. So you have this big supply and it turns out that the baby gets one sniff of it with the spoon and it's like, <laughs> I hate peas, but you know, I'll take like mashed peaches, but I do not like mashed peas. So it shuts the baby's mouth. Burp, the baby will shut. You know, babies have very, very particular tastes, right? They like, they, and when they don't want something, you know what they do? They Good shut luck. their mouth. And then if you try to shove it in, they use their little tongue blah, 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 and they push it right back out, right? Like they'll just push it right out. So it doesn't matter how much you have. If the receptor, the mouth, 
doesn't want to receive it, right? So it doesn't matter how much thyroid hormone you have if you can't get it into a functional receptor. That's what happens when you have insulin resistance, right? You have all this that is, insulin. Uh, my all time <laughs> favorite visual of a hormone receptor. <laughs> I will, I will never not. In any conversation regarding hormones and receptors, be I will always see the baby and the, and the time. Well, it's so true, though. I I once tried to give my youngest daughter eggplant, and I'll tell it you, did she did not, not go lie. well. It did not go well. So that picture never left me when she like tried the eggplant. Like no way, no how. Never gonna open my mouth again for that. Now she actually likes it, but that was when she was a baby. Sure. And so it's like, it doesn't matter what you want to go into that receptor when the receptor says right. no way. And that's what happens with, like I said, insulin, when you have insulin resistance, that means the receptor isn't working well right. and you body, your body makes all this extra insulin, but it isn't like working well, you know, so your blood sugar keeps rising. So, you know, at least after a while, you know, the insulin isn't going to compensate. And, uh, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like you get a big team and you keep like shoving on the door. Eventually it opens, but eventually that door gets totally stuck and you put all the insulin in the world and it's just not going to really open well. So that's what happens when you, you know, with these other hormones. So everything is so interactive. So I yes. always say this too. If you, for some reason, had like a big goiter, you know, that's your thyroid, a big swollen thyroid, but it wasn't cancer or anything, but it was so big. This, by the way, can happen. It was so sure. big that it was pushing on your trachea so you couldn't breathe well or, you know, swallow well because right. it's like this giant thyroid right here. So what do they do? They sometimes might take it out. This doesn't happen very often, but they take it out. Now, if somebody removes someone's thyroid gland, they would never say, well, it's okay. Why you don't, don't you need hormone? You don't need it. Why don't you meditate right. or eat more vegetables or take a walk or something? Yeah. No, they would say you have to have thyroid. So I right. say the same thing when you lose your ovarian function. I know it's natural. I don't care because earthquakes, which we're having a hurricane now coming to right. Florida, that's natural. Some people it won't go into climate change here, but it's still a natural event, maybe right. promoted by climate change. But in any case, you know, it doesn't mean it's good for anyone living in Florida, I can tell you. So natural doesn't mean good. Okay. Remember, death is natural. We try so to fight is against it. <laughs> exactly. You know, poison toadstools. Yeah. So just because it's natural doesn't mean, you know, if you want it natural, then don't come and see me because then you don't want any. I like intervene, but I try to intervene in a way that's most adapted to the human body, that's physiologic, that I try to use like natural medicine before I use pharmaceutical medicine when I can. If somebody comes sure. in with incredibly high blood pressure, I'm not going to just say eat more vegetables, go on right. the DASH diet or something. I'm going to say, I need to put you on a blood pressure drug now. And we're also and going to do. We right, we're also going to do. <laughs> yes. Right, right, right. If someone yes. has a giant ovarian tumor, I can't just give them curcumin. I mean, like sure. I know, okay, you know, there are limitations to, yes. that's why I, I have not, I'm not alternative medicine. I'm integrative. Old, I'm it integrative. brings the best of both worlds. Exactly. Exactly. But you're getting at that root cause. It's not band-aid medicine. I, not band-aid medicine. I will always treat symptoms, but I will never only treat symptoms. Right. You right. got it. You got yes, it. Yes. I love it. We want to solve problems. Yeah. Yes. You got it. I heard you say, which I loved, I hope I'm going to quote it correctly because I didn't write it down when I heard it, but I was like, ooh, we were just talking about estrogen and estradiol, progesterone, all the all the sex hormones. And I heard you refer to them. You're, you're changing the name, I hear. Oh, yes. I don't want to call them sex hormones. I want to call them life hormones. Yes. And this it is directly what you were saying about, you know, we don't, hopefully die when we're done with our reproductive years. And if we want to live young and by, and that's why topical estrogen makes your skin look beautiful because it's why we get wrinkly you know, and shrivelly when know, we lose I, our hormones. You know, like I have, I work with a compounding pharmacy who makes yeah. a product that has estrogen and progesterone in it. Yeah. And my patients love it. Yes. I, always, I, I mean, secret, but not so secret. I use it. <laughs> Okay. You know what? It's natural. I I would rather do that. I'm like, I've said, I, I, I once had a bad concussion from falling off a bicycle when I was mountain biking back in like 2002. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I will not put my brain under 
you know, voluntarily under anesthesia. But anesthesia doesn't get its due in terms of its harm to the brain. It's like getting a little brain trauma. So yeah. especially the older you get. Or big, so depending on. Yeah, yeah. The, it's yeah. not good for the brain to be put under anesthesia. Let's, yeah. you know, that's why they try to avoid it for little bitty children and old people, especially because their brains yeah. don't do as well. Of course, if you're on estrogen, it will do better with estrogen. It will, well, it and really progesterone. Will. I mean, and I know estrogen and progesterone <laughs> is very neuroprotective. Absolutely. Yes. And the brain yeah. makes estrogen and the brain makes progesterone. It's just that after menopause, the, the it's even with making it, it doesn't make enough because sure. the precursor to estradiol is testosterone. So men, when they have good testosterone levels, make plenty of estradiol in their brain. But no matter what, women will never have testosterone levels that are high enough. And their brains are not even designed to be making a ton of estradiol because it's not how we're programmed. So yeah. we need that. But it's very, they're both all neuroprotective. That's why they're often called neurosteroids because they're actually very involved in neurological health and, and function and so on. But the bottom line is that I would much rather put hormones on my skin. I'm not going under anesthesia. I'm not going to have a facelift. It's just not going to happen because I might value my brain function more than I care sure. about wrinkles. But you can well, and you don't even have any, or you know, or you well, have the most you know, amazing filters well, in the world. No, <laughs> I never. I bet I just truth. I never use filters on any yeah. pictures. I, like yeah, I am who too. I am. I never want someone to meet me in person and say, "Why do you use like a twenty-year-old photo or something?" Right. No, right. And I don't. Well, and I, I just. I joke. I'm fifty-three. I didn't think I was going to live to see 50. So like I wear 53 well, like a badge. Like I'm thrilled yeah, to be 53 well, and I've yeah. earned, you know, we we just, but the thing is, as we're talking about, there are things we can do. And Absolutely. So for and for fact, listeners who are thinking like, wow, well, I have autoimmunity. No one's ever asked me about hormones. You know, maybe they're still, oh. you know, fully cycling. Maybe they didn't have fertility trouble. We, that we could do in a whole oh. other episode as to why people with Oh, you know what? <laughs> you know, I want to touch on that. Thank goodness. Yeah. It's so easy to get sidetracked. But the reason that women make up 80% of all people who have autoimmunity mm -hmm. is because they have so many more cells that can make antibodies and they have so much of a more like outsized, oversized immune response. So if you have a chronic infection, now a chronic infection can be like a herpes infection sure. because there are many herpes, there are many viruses. And by the way, you know, COVID is now mm -hmm. recognized as one of them that can promote and cause yes. long-term chronic infections. Now, if you have a leaky gut, then bacteria and viruses in your gut will be continually leaking into your body. That's like a chronic infection. They even now, like Dr. Schoenfeld from Israel, who's a famous immunologist says, and I had some conversations with him, has said, there's no question from what our conversation that the vagina can cause leaky vagina, okay? And then bacteria in the vagina can leak into the body proper and create this essentially like a chronic state of infection. And so the body in, in exchange for trying to survive, you know, that's what it's trying to do. It creates antibodies sure. against the infectious agent. Women make more antibodies and they have a more aggressive response to infections than do men. So if now, every time you have an infection, 100%, you will make antibodies against sure. that infectious agent. Now, we all, life form, every life form has the same building blocks, the nucleotides. We don't have like 5 trillion different nucleotides. Like every, the building blocks are the same. They're just somewhat rearranged. It turns out that we humans have protein structures and amino acids and nucleotide sequences that are similar to the pathogens. So you might call it like, they call it molecular mimicry. It's like yes. mistaken identity. So the antibodies will just say against strep because people know that strep 
is associated when they used to not treat it with antibiotics, it could cause rheumatic heart disease, yes. which is where the antibodies attack the heart valves. Okay. So we can have human structures. It could be in the joints. It could be on the nerves. It could be the sheath that covers nerves, like with MS. It could be so thyroid. Any, it could be thyroid, which is the most common. Yep. Okay. It could be anything, the gut yes. lining cells, you know. So any cell in the body could have a similar structure to the invading pathogen. And they've actually had some linkages between them, okay, especially sure. with rheumatoid arthritis. So if you make an antibody against a pathogen and that infection is long-term, then that antibody is going to be continually produced. If you have a short-term infection, during that short-term infection, you will make antibodies against yourself, So, but it's short-lived. And when right. the infection is over, the antibody production is whoop, way down, so it's not going to cause harm. But if it's an ongoing infection and you keep making antibodies over and over and over, you're going to end up making antibodies against your own tissue. Some kind of tissue is going to be similar. Yes. And that's the initiation of autoimmune disease. It starts from a chronic infection. And we have so many different chronic infections that now, you know, because people's guts are so leaky and other yes. things are leaky. And we have, you know, environmental poisons that interfere with our own hormonal systems that we call these ubiquitous endocrine disruptors and so on that interfere with the normal function of our immune system. So instead of attacking the invader and then eradicating it, it allows the chronic infections that that sort of sets the stage for these autoimmune conditions. And we know that a lot of autoimmune conditions are now linked to nutrient deficiencies like yes. vitamin D and everything. So it's yes. all like every, all the systems are interlinked. It's just another and, hormone, by the way. Right. It's like a pre-hormone. <laughs> it's like a pre-hormone, right? So the bottom line, and we're supposed to manufacture it, but people aren't doing a good job of that. So yeah. the bottom line is that because women have this unique immune system that we have way more production of all the immune factors, the cytokines, the antibodies, we have more immune cells and a more exaggerated response because it's about survival. But now it's sort of turned against us when right. you have a, an acute infection, we survive it's great. We rock better. It. Right, yep. we wreck it. But when it's a chronic infection, we can end up with autoimmune diseases, which are now epidemic. They okay? are. And, and I deal with them all the time. So you got to heal leaky gut. You got to calm the system down. You got to give immune support. So they're like a whole sequence of events. And you've got to look for environmental toxicants like poisons and chronic yes. infections. And so you've got to look at all these things. And this is like what people are doing, like with Alzheimer's, they're looking at all these different things because yep. it's because the same setup that creates same. autoimmune creates chronic neuroinflammation, chronic, yes. inflammation, chronic inflammation, which increases autoimmune, which increases allergies, which increases cardiovascular disease, which increases cognitive problems, metabolic issues. So I mean, one, you name right, a chronic so thing. that's right. Cardiovascular, <laughs> like vascular. So once you understand the foundation, suddenly you see how everything is interlinked. That's why it drives me crazy when I see an article said, oh, we just made this great discovery. Like women who have osteoporosis are more likely to have dementia. It's like osteoporosis is an inflammatory process and it's, you know, related to Hormone deficiency. I would thank you. I was like, we're back to hormones. Oh, right, right, right. Because hormones, once you understand that estrogen and progesterone are about having all the organs work optimally and yes. in synchrony, because yes. they're also involved in the master clock that sets the circadian rhythm, so that all the organs work on the same time zone, <laughs> you know, and they work optimally for the purpose of survival and reproductive success, then suddenly there's no mystery how everything is a beautiful symphony and that the hormones are life hormones and they create this, what we call metabolic homeostasis. That, that the goal is to keep everything kind of calm, but ready on alert in case of trauma or pathogen, but not activated until 
they need to be activated. Yes. And that's where most listeners are are like, ooh, this is <laughs> that's how it's supposed to work. So what what would be we covered a lot, like wow, I'm I can't wait to listen to this again. What is one thing listeners can do today? Just one step they can take to start to move their needle okay. toward home. Well, I always say, well, you got to start somewhere. Yes. The place to start is number one. And this is just the prelude. This isn't mm-hmm. actually the start is to define the problem and understand the problem. You can never solve a problem if you haven't even defined what the problem is. So you understand the problem. You know, you understand the things that you're doing in your own life that may be not really helpful for your health, you know? So, so define. I'm going to jump in and clarify because I can already hear like, well, I, you know, oh, I know the problem and they're filling in their diagnosis, right? No, oh, no, not no. a diagnosis. We're not talking about that. No, it's not a diagnosis. It's yeah. like, like I eat a lot of processed food right. or I go to bed at 2 a.m. I mean, we're talking yeah. about like choices that you can control, not a, not a medical diagnosis, right? Like you got to define things that you know, like make a list of things that you think you can do better with. Like maybe you, like, like we said, you know, you go to bed at a crazy time that you don't have to, because I know people that they have social jet lag. They, they intentionally go to bed at crazy times or they eat meals erratically. They eat late at night. They eat a lot of processed food, which have a lot of chemicals. They don't eat they don't, enough they don't vegetables. Drink water. <laughs> they don't hydrate. Right, right. So, you know, and like we know they, you're right. If you so, take a moment and get quiet, you can find so, those so, places. To and level. then so sort of like define the the problem in terms of the things you can control. Yes. You know, like I can't say sell your house and move to a different state. OK, well, we're talking about realistic right. things that you can control. and then you know, pick the one that you feel you can actually do starting tomorrow. Okay. Now, if you have no idea, then start with the gut. Okay. We always say start with gut. So start by doing something simple, like saying, I am going to eat vegetables at every meal, or I will absolutely not buy box cereal anymore. Dry, you know, like make a commitment and keep it. You know, so, you know, I can say, I want you to eat three cups of vegetables with every meal, a cup of fruit, never <laughs> snack, stop eating at you 6 p.m. You know, you I, mean, I know. Yes. I mean, I could, I mean, I would love to get everyone to do everything I want. Okay. But I have to be realistic. So every week, yeah. make a positive change, you know, like, um, Maybe invest in a little treadmill that you can like slip under the couch. It doesn't even take up space. You can buy things like that or find a buddy, you know, that you can take a walk with yes. or, you know, Building find, partner. you know, like start going to the local farmer's market and asking the vendors there what vegetables they are selling, what they are. If you don't like, I don't know. Right. What the heck. I was like, Once upon a time, it's like, what the heck is this? It's cold Robbie. What the heck is cold yeah. Robbie? You know, <laughs> you know, like I didn't know. It's like, and how do you cook it? They're always happy to tell you, you know, they yes. often have sheets with recipes. Of course, yes. you can always go online. So experiment, try a new vegetable every week, you know, and leave some bad thing out of your life. It could be a toxic person, <laughs> you know? So, yes, you I know, love that. so, <laughs> so true. you know, set a schedule that's realistic and make a positive change every week. Make a list of things that you know, you don't like need a healthcare professional. You right. know, you we know, do. we all know, we all, you know, things that you're doing that are really not ideal, not right? Yeah. Like, are you like, you know, like stop snacking, you know, say, but if I do have to snack, I'm only going to snack on raw organic nuts and maybe raw, I mean, not raw, because they are raw, you know, like, like a fruit that you like, like the grapes, you know, or something like that. So, you know, so you say, okay, I'm going to try not to snack anymore, because it's not really great, because you can't keep your insulin under control if you're snacking all day. But at least if you eat something, it adds nutrients, okay, and not poison, you know, so just take these steps. And you know, what's going to happen, a year is going to come and go. And at the end of a year, you're going to be one happier, healthy individual. 
Amazing. I love it. For people that are listening on the go and aren't going to check out the show notes, where's the best place for people to find you? Well, I'm actually, I told you, I'm in an exam room in my office. <laughs> I, I have, I'm an old fashioned doctor. I have a brick and mortar practice. I also can do telemedicine and I am in Irvine, California. So that's Southern California. The name of my practice is Integrative Medical Group of Irvine. And for those not familiar, Dr. Gersh is being modest. She's also has this amazing presence on Instagram and gives so much information. And I believe it's it's Dr. Felice Gersh on Instagram, correct? Yeah. So the, the only thing that's tricky about it is there's a period after doctor. So it's ah. D-R period and then Felice Gersh. And I Wonderful. do try most most weeks. Sometimes I miss because I'm like out speaking. I travel. I still now traveling is back. So I'm, I'm traveling, I'm doing lectures, and I do have three books. I'm hoping to write many more. So I have two books on PCOS. One is the foundation book, PCOS SOS. The other one is for women trying to get pregnant and now called PCOS SOS Fertility Fast Track. And one on menopause, that's my newest book, less than a year out. And it's called Menopause 50 Things You Need to Know. And I love that you put the 50, 50 things in there. <laughs> so amazing resources for everybody. Dr. Gersh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. For everyone listening, remember you can get the transcripts and show notes by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Listen to it twice. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guests. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time, this is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.